Touch Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. I got Scott Chasen here, my friend. He covers uh, Kansas, Kansas um, stuff. So, uh, how are you doing? I- I'm good, man. Glad to be on. It's been a while, you know. Haven't been able to link up yet, but uh, no, definitely glad to be on. And you doing well? I'm doing great. Great day today out here in Phoenix. I was looking at a lot, a lot of basketball stuff. Um, all-Star Game, all the All-Star stuff, and the crazy DeMarcus Cousins trade. So we're going to talk about that today and uh, some Sun stuff. So uh, first, give me your take on the All-Star Game. What how, how did, what happened? Well, you know, I actually enjoy the All-Star Game. I know a lot of people especially seem recently kind of mad that even the, the fourth quarter defense that used to be played is kind of dropped off. But, you know, I, I don't really see anything wrong if you just want to watch guys dunk for 48 minutes. So I, I enjoyed seeing Anthony Davis score 52 or whatever he did. And, you know, I enjoyed watching LeBron get 20 in the first half and all that. So, you know, it was a blast. Would have liked to see some Suns in there. Maybe, you know, Devin Booker return visit to the three-point shootout or something like that. But, you know, you uh, you go with what you got. You got Derek Jones Jr. in the uh, – dunk contest and you roll with that yeah i agree i mean i someone someone on twitter was like hey i was like oh i don't really want to watch the, i don't want to watch the all-star game because i didn't want to check on twitter about the boogie stuff so i was like oh what do i do because on dvr i wasn't ready to watch it yet couldn't watch it yet and uh i was like oh my goodness but then someone tells me what happens and i'm just like uh i still want to watch it it's still the all-star game it's still i want to see Giannis dunk from a thousand feet out and be awesome and all this cool stuff. I agree with the Devin Booker stuff I was tweeting during the three-point contest. I was like, you can't just have volume off the dribble shooters. Be You need to have catch and shoot or something kind of shooters. No J.J. Redick, no Korver. Of course, Clay was going to do well. So it was it just kind of like Devin Booker needed to be in there. I agree. And uh, the dunk contest couldn't live up to the hype of last year, but it was still pretty good. And I always, for some reason, like the Celebrity All-Star game just because it's, just, it's so bad. Like my brother, who plays basketball, okay would just like destroy them like not even close <laughs> no I, i'm you know what's funny is i, I do a podcast now triple ot with some friends here in, in uh, lawrence kansas and our very first episode was kind of ironically slash kind of jokingly previewing the celebrity all-star game a few <laughs> years ago but no i love it it's it's so much fun to watch i didn't get to see it this time around but you know no kevin hart so hopefully i didn't miss too much no yeah it was it's it was good it was the best part was they had this little kid that was uh, on the sideline. This one of the older guys brought him on, and he uh, was juking. Who was he juking out? I don't know. Mark Cuban, somebody. He was juking him out and shot over him. But this kid's like eight or something, and he like makes a a ten, twelve footer, switches it on a someone who was actually trying to guard him a little bit. It was really it was great. And the uh, really the best part was the Craig Sager uh, tribute three pointers, Steph half court shots for five hundred thousand dollars charity. That was a pretty great moment for sure. Yeah, just following that, I, I was on the road at the time and just kind of seeing it all unfold on Twitter. It was uh, definitely seemed like an awesome moment. I've yet to go back and kind of watch the whole thing. I really all I saw start to finish and not you know just seeing gifts and stuff was the uh, was the actual All Star game. But yeah. no, that moment certainly. I mean, it blew up. It was everywhere and seemed like a really great thing. Half a million dollars, right? Yeah, if only Steph could make a half court shot. That seems weird <laughs> that he missed so many. He missed like seven in a row. Um, yeah. Well, that was yeah. So that was fun. But then, right that night there, um, as uh, Cousins is actually, it looked like he was giving an interview about the All Star Game and got the news that he was traded to the Pelicans, where he was, because that's where the All Star Game was. Which he doesn't even have to go back, but he probably has to go back and get his stuff from his house. But it was kind of amazing that he got traded that close there. And uh, we'll we'll go. Over, let me t- just tell you what happened in terms of the uh, exact trade. Looks like, where'd it go, where'd it go? So, Buddy Heald and Langston Galloway, Tyreek Evans, a protected first rounder, and the Philadelphia 76ers second rounder to the Sacramento Kings for DeMarcus Cousins and Omri Caspi, which to me seems like extremely low value, but what was your first thoughts when you heard about it? My first thought when I heard about it was, well, because I saw it unfolding that they had two offers, and I saw this was one of the offers. So my first thought was, well, what's the other offer? Because mm-hmm. that's the one they're going to take. I was, <laughs> I, I, I was pretty stunned um, that this was the package they accepted. I mean, today Vlade came out, I guess, and said that they had a better offer a couple days ago. But, man, I, I cannot believe. There are so many little things with this trade that shock me. Maybe the biggest is that 
the pick is that the first round pick they got is top three protected. I mean, they, they couldn't even get that in the trade. It's it's unbelievable. I feel like they got fleeced in this one. I agree. I agree. I'll, we'll talk more specifics, but like I work for a negotiation company, like in real estate and stuff. But like it's like Vlade has never negotiated a thing in his life, and he's like, oh what what oh sure I'll do that sounds good. Like yeah, just, it, yeah, it's amazing. It's just it, it, there again. There are so many like. You know, you kind of hear about some of what might have been another offer or who didn't want to float certain players, you know, but I wish we were talking about this, you know, actually on my podcast earlier today, but, there, you know, 25 teams could have beat that offer without giving up a significant piece. The Lakers could have beat it without giving up Ingram. The Suns could have beat it without giving up Bledsoe. You know, it, it's incredible, Bledsoe or Booker. It's it really is kind of shocking that of all the trades, all the times that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins wasn't traded for, like, the second pick in the 2015 draft and all all, all these times he wasn't traded, the thing that got it done was Buddy Heald. Because Vivek, the owner, likes him. It's like, really? Really? I mean, like, I, I think I put this on Twitter. I couldn't believe that that was how low he the, that got the deal done. I mean, like I said, like you kind of reiterated, the Suns have, like, five permutations of an offer that beats that offer without giving up Bledsoe or Booker, and probably not even Bender or Chris. Like, you can literally give, like, nothing. The Suns have, could do that, could do deals that are that good three times before they're giving up any of those players. It's amazing. And, and I thought another part, too, that I think Scott Howard mentioned on Twitter was that, you know, you, you look at what they, the Suns gave up to get the eighth pick from the Kings, and that, that was pretty comparable to what, you know, the Kings get for DeMarcus Cousins. I, I can't imagine trading a superstar or, or even just a star with the abilities who can give you 20 and, or 23 and 11 or whatever he's averaging, who's had multiple 20, 20, 10 triple doubles. Uh, a guy who's a dominant force, a beast all over the court, and, and being satisfied with what they got. But maybe they know something we don't. I mean, they know he's a, kind of a knuckleball. <laughs> I mean, a knucklehead. I mean, it's like he – we obviously know like we don't really think there's off-court troubles, but he has on-court troubles in terms of emotional, in terms of the technicals and how how he really relates. But, I mean, some of that's the, <laughs> the dump, the the – pieces around him in Sacramento. I mean, what is he on? He's had six head coaches since he's been there. Um, yeah. And, like, well, multiple he, regimes. It's just, like, crazy. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of all the head coaches, he has one head coach he finally likes in Mike Malone, and the team is winning. Then he gets sick and misses a few games, and the Kings go below 500, and they fire their coach. It's, it is it is incredible, kind of, the, kind of the organizational culture that the Kings have put on. It's, it's a top-down thing, and just the fact that you know, Cousins, a guy who has maintained over and over he wants to stay in Sacramento. The fact that they haven't seemingly done – they've done very little to appease him. They've drafted big men, drafted guys who pay, play his position. Uh, they've drafted basically very poorly since they, – they had a couple good drafts in a row, and you know, like 10 years ago, and, or basically since when Cousins was drafted. And since then, haven't really done anything constructive to help him, but they've certainly done their part to upset him. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, he's really good and stuff, but and it it just it's it's amazing that that's what happened. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about in terms of the fit in New Orleans. What do you think of the two ama- huge big stars? And I, well, the thing is, I couldn't believe they didn't give up Drew Holiday. I mean, and they and they got Omer, Omer Caspi. It's just like wow. But I mean, like I said though, also on Twitter that. The Pelicans have, like, no depth now, like, at all. The little depth they thought they had that they didn't is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I certainly agree with that. I would say, you know, among the winners and losers of this trade, the biggest loser is probably the Golden State Warriors, not because they won't beat the uh, the Pelicans. I mean, they're still going to beat the Pelicans if they play in the first round, but, you know, they may have to go out and sign just another big man to the veteran veterans minimum or something like that just so that they can kind of defend that front line. I We don't know how it's going to fit together, but it's so fascinating to see basically. I mean, in my opinion – these are the top two big men, the top two true big men, I should say, in the league. That's just, uh, you know, Marcus other Ball. people feel free to disagree. So Marcus when you put Ball. them together in, in a front line like that, uh, that it's going to cause problems for, for plenty of teams, let alone a team that isn't as big as the Warriors. Although, again, I'm, uh, the Warriors are going to handle them in the first round. Yeah, I mean, the, the shooting alone does it. But, I mean, Marcus Alls, I'd say, better than Anthony Davis and more of a true center. But, I mean, I, Anthony, I think Anthony Davis at the four and Cousins at the five is just kind of amazing. 
terms of the screen setting, the rebounding is going to be off the charts. And I think that, I don't know if you had seen the article, but I mean, Anthony Davis has not been able to be a five, even though he, they needed him to be a five for a long time. But a Cousins can do that in the offensive ability for them. They can both shoot enough that I think it works. We'll just see what happens. But they need some wings and some point. They need some shooters. They need they need a lot of stuff. And I was floating it on Twitter. Uh, they need Brandon Knight is what they need. And I was like, hey, <laughs> hey give us there, a first round pick They're or anything. recreating Kentucky, basically. So I, I saw, was it Bill Simmons who floated out the joke that maybe John Calipari is like secretly the GM or something? So yeah. may, maybe they get, they get all the Kentucky guards there, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's an interesting situation. Um, it's kind of funny, this whole... Uh, kind of remember remember back to the Chris the Chris Paul trade that wasn't um, it was the same kind of thing it was it was like is someone going to veto this trade it seems a little too lopsided for it to be allowed uh, but I guess I guess it works and it, like oh here's the best thing I wrote uh, I have two art- two articles that everybody needs to know about that uh, will help inform this whole discussion today I wrote one about a general NBA trade season primer kind of to anybody who's a casual fan and even the writers if they want to read it to kind of educate about how NBA trades work from information gathered from Steve Kyler I used to work with and work for and lots of other people just kind of things I've gathered over the years about how it works and what to expect and also the one that I wrote finished today about exactly the sun specific for this trade season I would really hope you check them out uh, the one from a couple of days ago I actually had a line in there before this Marcus Cousins thing happened that said, um, it's blah, 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 and then parentheses. But if you're, uh, you're trying to trade and you want to trade something, you have to be really careful unless you're trading with the Knicks or the Kings and then try whatever you want. I literally said that a week ago, and this just makes it even funnier. Yeah, there there is no rhyme or reason to basically what's happened. I, I did think the funniest... The funniest, actually, we touched on a little bit earlier. You were, you were just talking, I think, about how they can shoot enough. Just the funniest thing I saw from this whole, this whole, I guess, debacle of a trade, you'd call it, is that Cousins is only shooting 2% worse from three than Buddy Heald, and he's made six more threes than him this year. So <laughs> I, I found that juxtaposition to just be hilarious. I love how Vivek loves random players like this. <laughs> and, like, it's like, I mean, someone floated, floated, I guess we talk about Twitter a lot, more than I thought we would. Um, but, like... That if you're in a draft and you have this, you have ties on your board, just pick whoever Vivek likes and you can trade him for his all star. Like it doesn't yeah, it, was, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I think it's also kind of crazy that this comes in the midst of one Ben McLemore having the best stretch uh, of his season by far. He's averaging like 12 a game this month, and uh, and also Nick Stauskas. I thought the juxtaposition too of you know, these guys are the same age, and, you know, Nick Stauskas' numbers in his career to this point are basically an exact mirror image of what Buddy Heald has done. Now, obviously, as Buddy Heald gets more comfortable in things, you know, his, you know, ceiling and projections will change, but, you know, you do have to remember, like, Buddy Heald is not a young guy. It's, we, we also talked about this earlier, was the difference between, like, when you draft a guy like Devin Booker versus when you draft a guy like Buddy Heald is that, you know, Devin Booker can take six years to figure it out, and he's 25. If Buddy Heald takes six years, he's 30, and that's that's massive. I so. mean, the difference because I mean, we I guess kind of it's known that your like your your prime is like what 26, 27 to 30, something like that. And like yeah. if if he's halfway through his prime before he actually can figure it out, that's not good. You're saying Devin Booker can figure it out, take over half a decade to figure it out before he even enters his prime, and he's figured out a lot sooner than that. But it's kind of just amazing that the, this about this trade. Yeah, de- definitely, I do think so, and it, it'll be funny to see what does come of it. Because certainly, you know, if let's say Cousins leaves in a year and a half, or if it doesn't work, and they, you know, they flip him in the off season anyway, then you know, I'm, I'm sure the perception of this will change. Also, you know, we still don't know what's going to come out of the news dump in Sacramento. It's going to be like when Kevin Durant left OKC, and every waiter that he ever stiffed. I'm sure we will we will hear every single story about that. But oh, man, I. It, I when I when I saw the trade, I don't know what you thought here, but when I saw the trade like was starting to happen, I had Twitter open, but I was so skeptical. I didn't believe it was going to happen. So many people were tweeting like, "I'm going to bed. This is not really happening." I, I didn't believe it was happening. Uh, I was pretty stunned when 
you know, I saw that first tweet that was like, oh, hey, actually, they did just trade DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, I was uh, trying not to look at Twitter because I was watching the All-Star game. But uh, at the time that the trade was happening, but I think I, the only thing I saw before as I was kind of trying to skim and not watch anything was that, oh, Suns and and uh, Lakers and Pelicans are in the mix for Cousins tonight. I was like, ah, we'll see what actually happens. It's not the trade deadline yet. We'll see. And then I was like, I don't really want the Suns to trade for DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> I'm, like, can, I'm like, I don't know. And that leads to what we'll discuss a lot later. But uh, so I was just kind of like, ah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, so let's let's actually get to some. It's trade deadline time Thursday, I believe it's three o'clock in the afternoon uh, Arizona time. We're going to have the trade deadline. Uh, I love that time of year. That those two or three hours are just amazing. It's just so exhilarating to see all the trades going by and seeing who gets stiffed and who gets who get who wins and who changes their entire franchise, just like this one did. Um, so. So that's that's why I would suggest everybody looking at my thoughts, my in depth written down on the article I wrote today. But I want to discuss with you, Scott, more so three specific players. Um, what do you think about Tucker, um, his situation, and any potential landing spots for someone who is clearly, like, easily taken? I guess. Yeah, well, just with PJ Tucker, I was reading from Zach Lowe. I think he kind of talked about that. You know, Tucker is definitely the most likely one to be on the way out. Obviously, he does have things, you know, that he can provide a contender. I, I think even if you just take away his on-the-court things, the things he does off the court, too, just in terms of, like, a leadership role is can, can also be helpful to a very good team. So, um, you know, it's interesting. He loves that right corner, like always, loves the corner three. So, you know, if a team needs a little bit of shooting, a little bit of grit, a little bit of defense, a little bit of whatever – I could see them making a move. It, it's interesting. He said, uh, Lowe said, he doesn't see any Suns players getting, kind of netting a first-round pick. But just with P.J. Tucker, I thought one destination that was really interesting was Indiana. Apparently mm-hmm. that they are dangling their first-round pick out to get, you know, uh, Paul George some help. And if there's a way the Suns could somehow net a first-rounder for, for a guy like P.J. Tucker, I, I think you'd be pretty thrilled with that haul. Yeah, that, I mean that's that'd be fine. I'm more I'm kind of into like some younger players, not younger players, but just some, I'm trying to think of people. Obviously, maybe this is too much. Ah, it, it, well, first round would be fine for him, of course. I'm hoping for more um, changing deals that we'll talk about later, some bigger deals. But uh, Tucker would be great for a first rounder. As I've been actually talking about for months, the perfect destination for PJ Tucker is the Clippers, and they can never get him. Like they will never be able to afford him because they're over. The, I think they're over the cap and luxury tax. And they just have no way to, nothing to give the Suns to get him. But they need a small forward with his exact skill set. And it's kind of amazing that they can't get him. So ironic. Yeah. Well, they're, they're total buyers, but they have nothing to buy with. It's just, it's just kind of funny because they're definitely contenders, but they need to get to that next tier in, unless they want to make a blockbuster trade. You know, none of their pieces are all that appetizing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like you're not trading Paul, you're not trading Griffin. You could trade DeAndre, but then you lose, like, what makes you the Clippers. Like, you lose that defense right there and the rebounding and the blocking. You can't trade J.J. Redick, otherwise your starting lineup can't shoot enough. And, like, it's just amazing. And they don't have the depth to give up to, like, they can't do what the Warriors did this off off season. They can't trade their entire bench for Kevin Durant. (laughs) So, yeah, and you think some of the guys they brought in, you know, I, I think they obviously last year Lance Stevenson, you think of Paul Pierce, who maybe thought to be the answer. It's just they're missing that one piece, and I'm not sure they'll, like you said, I'm not sure they'll ever be able to just go out and get it on the trade market. I think this is going to be one of the one of those, obviously not the best, what-if teams. They're not they're not going to win a championship. This this core is not winning a championship. I've been, I feel like I've been saying it forever, but they're just not going to. They're not good enough to win a championship, and I think they're just going to eventually sputter out in a few years. Yeah, I think it's crazy, too, how many teams, like, not many people thought the Warriors would be this good when they were just kind of, you know, when they had that first kind of breakout season. 
Um, I, I think it's going to be kind of crazy to look back in 10 years or so and see, you know, how many teams did the Warriors kind of kill their chances of getting more rings? Because, you know, obviously the Spurs, obviously they, they had their time. But, you know, you think of like the Rockets currently or, or how they started the year when the Rockets were like, you know, world beaters early on or mm-hmm. a team like Los Angeles, the Clippers. It, it kind of makes you wonder what's the point of going all in for one or two seasons when, you know, and then even if you get past the Golden State Warriors, you still have to deal with the Cavs in the finals. So it'll be interesting to look back a decade or so from now and, you know, see could Chris Paul have had, you know, a couple of rings if the Warriors never happened or would Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant have stayed together if the Thunder didn't blow that 3-1 lead and what would they have done in the, in, you know, in the championship? I mean, I might obviously, I think the greatest what-if what team of all time is the Thunder, I mean, from when they had Harden because if Harden doesn't suck in those finals, they probably don't trade him and then they have three... MVP caliber first people for a decade, and they probably win. But that's that was hard to keep everybody happy there. But and that's a whole other discussion. But still, that's my big what if team. Yeah, for sure, and and also a bunch of injuries with them. You know, mm-hmm. they, I think Ibaka, Durant, and Westbrook all missed time in different seasons. Consecutive so seasons, and that's yeah. another one. Like playoffs and consecutive seasons, like it was crazy. If, if they just stay healthy, they win championships, and then change the course of everything. Um, so let's move on to the, another player, uh, Brandon Knight. I don't know if you've heard on my podcast or stuff, but Brandon Knight is like the only player I can't really stand on the Suns. I pretty much love everybody else. And it's not that he's a bad player. He's a good player. As I wrote about I think you read it. He's a good player whose skill set is good, but his numbers and his play are um, questionable. He seems to find a way to squander possession when the Suns can least afford it, is one thing I wrote. And it just kind of... Uh, as I think as, as the last few weeks have gone on, the rumors have been that his value has dropped off a cliff and that no one's really wanting to take him off their hands. I was thinking, let's let's wait till, the, till Thursday and see when people are actually desperate, when the Pelicans need shooting or when something happens when they're, they take a chance on somebody. But what do you think about Brandon Knight and a possible destination or situation for him? Well, I, I definitely agree with you about um, it does seem like he makes mistakes when they absolutely you know, can't afford it. I think obviously the season's not going the way he wants, um, and I, I think a change of scenery would be not only the best thing for the Suns but also for him. Um, in terms of teams that might take him and what the Suns might be able to get back, you know, I, I'm not really sure. This is a guy I think he's probably having you know, the worst year of his like good years. Because it's, it's, it's not a good year. I, it's, it's kind of a hard way to put it. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, the years of its volume, it's probably the worst of all those years, just looking at his last. May, maybe this is even the worst year of his career, just looking at the numbers. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not sure what teams, what, what type of haul they'd be able to get. I think the Pelicans is actually, you know, if they aren't able to, to secure a bunch of other players, that maybe this is an option where the Suns are able to, you know, say, hey, you know, you do need another guard, and this guy in Milwaukee just a couple years ago, you know, was a borderline all-star. So, um, you know, I'm really – it'll be really interesting to see if a trade does happen with them because there are other teams, too, that, you know, no one's really thinking about right now. Like, take a team like Philadelphia. Philadelphia eventually is going to need to get some guards. I'm not saying Brandon Knight is their guard of the future. I mean, he's 25 and half their players feels like are 16 years old. But (laughs) uh, I I do think, like, even even kind of just a dark horse team like that comes out of the blue and says – you know what? This guy was once really good. He didn't forget how to play basketball. Let's let's just give him a chance. It'll be low risk. Let's see what happens. And you know, his contract, especially, it, obviously, mm-hmm. it's a lot of money, but not really in the new NBA and the new cap. So I think I think you can take a chance on him. Oh yeah, I was about to say the contract thing is with with, with how it is now. His was the same as what? So it's a ninety million over five years, I think. Um, it's no seventy seventy one of those. Um, but it's still not nearly what everybody else is getting nowadays. And uh, um, Bledsoe's deal looked a lot better than Brandon Knight's, that's for sure. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could go to one of those teams, like I was going to say, try the Knicks and the Kings again see, hey, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, so just for a first or anything, I mean, do the Knicks even have any first to give? It feels like they never have any. And um, just call up the Kings and see if they'll just give you the rest of their roster. Or Bogdan Bogdanovich and placate <laughs> all the fans. Um uh, so, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's he's good. The thing is, like, he has those games where you're, you're like, thank you. But sometimes I actually watch him swish a, a shot. I'm like, 
I really wish I hadn't made that because now you think you can make five more, and yeah. you're gonna you're gonna brick five more shots in the fourth quarter when they can't afford it. So, but I feel, but like I I wrote about, I think you if you remember this, it's not if, if McDonough can get a first rounder for a sandbagging Marquise Morris, then for a hardworking smart player like Brandon Knight, who has a skill set that many people need in this league, he can get something. He can do something. He has an asset there. Well, I, I totally agree, and you think about some of the other trades he's made. I mean, the one I always love is that Pacers trade when, yes. you know, he gives up, I think, like Louis Scola and gets back, you know, at the time, two starters, Gerald Green and, and a Plumley, and a Plumley. I think he got a pick back, too. So <laughs> He got a first, yeah. So, I mean, you think about that trade, you think about the Wizards trade when everyone was questioning that, and, you know, that turns... The Bledsoe trade. The, the first one, yeah. So, hey, for Bledsoe, he got, you know, it was just Jared Dudley and a second-round pick, so... Yeah, so, basically, second-round yeah. pick for Eric Bledsoe. What happened. So, see, I, I guess you just kind of... I, I mean, you even, even if you want to say that the Brandon Knight trades or, you know, that one trade deadline really didn't work out... Um, there's still definitely enough, I guess, goodwill kind of built up there that, you know, you got to assume McDonough's going to be able, if there's a chance to flip one of these guys, you know, uh, McDonough will certainly be able to do it. I agree with, I agree with you, but if you listen to one, Ben Golliver, he did not agree. 30 minutes of raining fire on McDonough and the Suns, it was crazy. Um, check that out for sure, people, that's an interesting listen. Um, so let's go to the third person, Tyson Chandler. I was of the mind that it was okay to have signed him for the two reasons of mentorship and potentially getting LaMarcus Aldridge. I would say signing him does not, even if the Aldridge thing doesn't work out, it's still an okay move because you can't go in hindsight and the chance that LaMarcus Aldridge is worth the sort of bad contract, even though right now he's averaging fourth most rebounds of his entire career. Uh, what do you think? Well, I, I definitely agree at the time uh, acquiring him. I, I would say it was not only a good risk. I, I think I thought at the time it was a phenomenal move, and mm-hmm. Lamarcus Aldridge really validated that when you know he later came out and said that basically the Suns were the runner-up, and they kind of surprised him. Think, think about how different the Suns team would be if if they ended up getting Lamarcus Aldridge that year. So, no, I, I think at the time that was a really good move in terms of fit with trade. That, that's kind of a tricky one. There aren't really that many teams looking for a player like that. I, I haven't gone through every team in the league. But Tyson Chandler, which is funny because he's making less than Brandon Knight. And, you know, to <laughs> some of the guys say his value is, is, you know, Brandon Knight's value is tanked. But I would still say he's the hardest of the three to move. I, he would have to, in my opinion... I guess be part of a bigger deal where the Suns yeah. were maybe trading for a star and they could use him to balance out some well, contracts. I just just came into my head. Indiana, I don't think Miles Turner needs to play the five. I think he needs to play the four. Maybe I'm wrong there. Other people can let me know. But, I mean, Tucker and Chandler and maybe Knight, who knows, and Warren and a first for Paul George, maybe something that will work. But... That's for later in the in a second, but uh, so yeah, Tyson Chandler. But there's not really any necessarily a place that he can go. But he's a good rebounder. He's a vocal leader. He's a defensive anchor, and he can set screens. And that's really what you need from a big man, unless you're a Marcus Gasol who can shoot also. Yeah, well, I'll just float this one out with with no real reason behind it. If the you know, I, I mentioned that if the the Pelicans find a way to sneak into the to the eight seed, they'll cause the Warriors some problems. Why not figure out a way to get him to to Golden State and see if you can get literally anything back for him? Maybe a a first round pick in a year, or Michael you know, you McAdoo just see, see what you can get. Looney, like like, do you even? Do, there's the question: Do you even care what they get back for any of these three players? Um, I think I think you do care for a guy like um, PJ Tucker just because m- maybe this is reading way too much into it, but this has just always kind of been my perspective on these things. I think when you're around an organization long enough, you kind of develop an importance in terms of what you can bring in the locker room. Your word kind of carries mm. more weight and things like that. So I think you know, in, in kind of a weird way, because he's not the most talented of the three guys, and he's never been the best, like, individually of the three guys in mm-hmm. terms of, like, prime of career. But I think P.J. Tucker would kind of have this weird value where you wouldn't want just anything back. But I would say I would say with Chandler and Knight, if you could get back comparable value or, or maybe even, a, you know, something, you know, just take a risk on a guy, then, yeah, I, I think you would pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, where'd it go Oh, gosh. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I guess I could get back any kind of value for him. But for Tucker, I think that he would be, of all the players that I've, since I've been covering basketball, I think he would be the player who would hate to leave the Suns the most. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. I, like I said, I, I just think he's a part of that that culture. And I always go back to that first year Jeff Hornacek coached the team and, like, seeing a bunch of those guys show up to kind of the summer league games, even mm-hmm. though they weren't really expected to play, but they mm-hmm. wanted to get a chance to kind of to kind of figure things out. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but I think he was at least there or, or maybe even playing in those games. So, played, yeah, yeah, I've always played, thought he was a guy – good presence on the team because uh tucker was overseas for so long that he just i think he played in those games it was like him and the morris brother like marky Morris played in those games too and they kind of destroyed because they were like it was like <laughs> three three uh fifths of the starting lineup was like playing in the summer league but yeah, uh, um, marcus morris i think had a game winner and in that summer league too mm-hmm. we're like I, I remember this too it's so random but right before the play his brother was like talking to him and the announcers are like this play is so obviously for Marcus Morris. They're <laughs> telling him where to go, and it didn't matter. He caught the ball and, and scored anyway. Yeah, so it's kind of amazing. But I think Tucker. I mean, he he has such the the soul and the. I mean, he just. He, I've never seen him like not get a rebound in the fourth quarter that he wanted to get, and he just has the demeanor of everything that he's been the heart and soul since the Nash era uh, of this team. And he he's for someone who fits so perfectly with the contender. And fits and just has the will and the drive. He, I feel like he'd be all somehow also the most reluctant to leave. It's crazy. Yeah, I agree. And you, you think maybe the most heartbreaking moment of PJ Tucker's tenure is if you remember when the Suns kept losing on uh, game-winning buzzer beaters over and oh. over and over. I think it was. I, I, I forget which one it was. It was maybe it was the Kings one or it was the the one where James Harden rattled in a oh, shot or something ridiculous. where he just like collapsed to the ground. Yes. He just felt so bad for the guys given everything. And, you know, they keep losing on these shots that are hitting the backboard. This year though was also frustrating. I've noticed if Tucker and Chandler aren't there, this team loses by 50 points every night because they are covering up for so much defensive lapses and rotations and stuff. It's amazing. Like, like, Tucker can't guard everybody, and Chandler can't get everybody at the rim. I mean, it's kind of amazing. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens if they trade these guys. I mean, like, I, was, I started out my article from today. It's like, oh, it's trade season, so everybody wants to trade everybody that can't rent a car without insurance, without someone co-signing it. Anybody under 25, get rid of them. Anybody over 25, get rid of them. So, it's like, if you do, if you get rid of Tucker and you get rid of Chandler and you don't bring back any defensive stalwarts, you're going to be in some serious hurt. Yeah, you're, you're going to give up historic number of points, I think, if those are the two guys that are traded and it's just, like, for picks. But, you know, it was funny. Uh, just kind of on a random note, too, I was I was just looking at a – I think Bleach Report did an article. It was, like, the perfect addition to each NBA team. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. One name they kind of threw out there was – was Alan Crabb for the Suns, and yes. they kind of brought up some good arguments that, you know, offensively provide a kick. You know, he, he has kind of a big contract, but the Suns can kind of afford to take that on right now. Uh, you know, a guy who can shoot the ball pretty well, I think he's shooting above 40% from three-point range this year, and, you know, he would fit into that um, that timeline that Ryan McDonough has kind of talked about, about winning guys aged like 19 to 27 or something like that. Uh, I was just curious what you thought about him. Yeah, I was really high on him. When he went uh... – Turner got to Portland. I was really hoping Crab would be available. And then when Brooklyn, uh, I think Brooklyn tried to sign him and then Portland matched it, I was hoping that Phoenix would be in that because without, if you get Brandon, like this, Archie Goodwin was, when Archie Goodwin was gone and before, I mean, Leandro doesn't need to play, but Brandon Knight's gone, then Alan Crab is like the perfect second shooting guard, like the perfect exactly one that you want. So. I think that I would love to have Alan Crabb on the Suns. That would be a really good addition, I think, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's too, it's a reasonable way to get a really good player, but not quite a star where, you know, you wouldn't have to give up significant assets, especially, you know, Portland's payroll is incredibly, incredibly high right now. I think it's fourth in the league. So, you know, you, you could make that argument and kind of talk to them about, you know, you guys really are, are kind of hurting yourselves in terms of flexibility with, with the players you've signed, and let's find a way where this works for you and this works for us. Definitely. Um, so let's uh, let's switch gears here to uh, the big ticket guys. I, we Off air, we were talking about Jimmy Butler and Paul George. What are your initial thoughts on those two guys and potentially seeing if they can come to Phoenix? 
if the Suns can find a way to do it without giving up Eric Bledsoe, without giving up, you know, uh, uh, Devin Booker, I, I think you pretty much explore... You, you don't sell the farm for either one of those guys, but you come pretty close to it, in my opinion. I think just the idea that the Suns could get a player like that, like, that, that's not a superstar, but certainly in that... And Paul George is pretty close, but that's certainly right in that next tier. I think it'd be pretty not, – not only a big boost to fans and things like that, but as guys like Devin Booker start to come into their own and, you know, Eric Bledsoe is obviously – he's he is a phenomenal player when healthy. And, and you still have a few picks. You may not have to give all of those away that, you know, I, I think the Suns, you could really see them start to build towards something. And, you know, I, I've been a big – proponent too of you, you really don't want to go all in this year or next year or the next couple of years just because of uh just because the Warriors and the Cavs are still so good and until basically LeBron's 35 you know you don't really need to take it too seriously but you know these are guys that aren't 33 right now these are guys that you know it's it's not one year or two years of window if, especially you know if you can get them to re-sign with you yeah I mean I agree I want to bring something up before we talk specifically about those exact trades um on the podcast that is having technical difficulties, I was talking with Moe Hamilton, Basketball Insiders, about timelines, and he was kind of amazed that timelines were a thing that people were worried about. I mean, in my article that you saw, it, I was like, it's not some caveat in the CBA that says all your core players, your best three players have to be within four years of each other age-wise. Like, that's not a thing that happens. I mean, it's, 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 you don't have to have that. It's the big dog, little dog, like, there's the best player, and then they switch roles. It happens in the NBA. So, I mean, having a Paul George until Devin Booker is good enough to be the number one, if he is, and then growing as a team, that's that's good. That works. I mean, like you said, by the time, if I think they're both about 25, 26, 27, if in three or five years, Devin Booker is your best player, Paul George or Jimmy Butler is your second best player, and Bledsoe is your third best player, that's, that's, a, that's a core that can do well. I'm not saying necessarily contender, but if you put the right piece around them, they have enough draft picks. They do because they have the Miami ones and their own to get them something. And plus land and warrant. Like if they don't have to give everybody away and they get this haul for these three players we're talking about, there's something there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Especially and, and your point with the timelines. I, I very much did agree with what you said. I, I think generally you do have to at least consider, like, I think Ryan McDonough is something like he has, like, an eight-year spurt he tries to fit in. So I think there is, like, you know, obviously you can't be signing LeBron James right now but uh, or guys older than that. But, no, I totally agree, and I think if you can if you can find someone to even maybe show the ropes a little bit to Devin Booker in terms of being a superstar, too, I mean, that certainly couldn't hurt. I mean, the only thing I think about timelines that isn't good is this Knicks thing. Like, Carmelo and Porzingis, like, something needs to happen. That, like, you need to get Carmelo out of there. Like, that should be a rebuild, and you should be trying to get as much assets as you can because they're too far apart. Like, what is Carmelo, like, 34, 35, something like that? Like, or 33? But that, to 20-year-old, that's, that's too much of a gap, and there's no way by the time that Porzingis is good enough that Carmelo's still going to be good. It, that's the timeline that people are talking about. But but what we're talking about, Paul George and Jimmy Butler added to this core of Devin Booker and Bledsoe, that's not anything that's going to be a problem in any sense. You don't want to just get young and hopefully, oh, maybe we'll be bad for seven years until Devin Booker's good enough. And by then, hopefully, we won't have spoiled all of our draft picks in time and we'll have a core in six years. No, I, I totally agree. You know, a thousand percent on that, especially because, too, the one that I really don't like about, and I used to admittedly read a little bit more into this than, than I probably should have, but, you know, some people have this idea of, like, a very specific timeline that this guy will be 27 and this guy will be oh 26 and this guy will be 28, whereas it's okay if, like, your second best player is, you know, 24 and your third is 30. Like, that guy, like, like you've been saying, that gap's still acceptable and certainly both the stars on that are, you know, reportedly on the market, they definitely fit into that age range where no one would be questioning what's the sun's direction if they were, you know, however unlikely able to, to kind of snag one of those guys. Like, the wrap up before we get to specifics about those two guys, what about the Spurs when they won in, uh, what's it, 2014? Was Kawhi 23? And the rest of the, the big three of the Spurs was over 32? I think that that was the case. And there is no one in their prime. And they still win because they have good players who know their role. That's how you win NBA games. Yeah, absolutely. 
good players who know their role, good coaching, good system, you know, fits, and absolutely, then the age kind of takes a backseat. So, in, um, do you think? Do you, so, it sounds like you think Paul George is significantly better than Jimmy Butler in the sense that you won't have to give up the same amount to get each one. Um, I personally think Paul George is a better player than Jimmy Butler, and I think in terms of the Suns, um, obviously Jimmy's playing the three this year, and I think he was a forward in terms of All Star voting too. Not that that matters at all, but I also like the fit. I both you you make the fit work if you can get stars regardless, but I really like Paul George as a player, and I, I think it would be awesome to see if you could assemble the one, two, three of Bledsoe, Booker, Paul George, and then just watch what that does over the next three, four years, you know, assuming he resigns. Uh, that, that would, that would to me, be fascinating. Yeah, I think I, Paul George is one of my favorite players, and Jimmy Butler is pretty great, too. I would We can talk about Jimmy Butler in a second, but Paul George as a, like I think I was telling you off air, uh, he would be better versatile-wise. Because, well, I should it's on Twitter, but it's the versatility. If you can play George as a four and maybe even a five in super small ball lineups, along with Booker, maybe Booker sizes a three. Like, okay, I'm not trying to figure out who actually gets sent to, for Paul George, but like a, say, a Bledsoe, Knight, um, Booker, Warren, Paul George lineup is pretty good. Maybe maybe instead of that, put Tucker in or something like for rebounding, but something where if a super small ball lineup or a more conventional Paul George is a four, that gets you somewhere. That gets you an advantage on the other team with a shooting that they have along with George. I think George is just a fantastic player in terms of his skill set, his rebounding, three pointers, ball handling, all of it. He just has what it takes. Yeah, and, and, and especially the way the NBA is going. Obviously, you know, positionless basketball and teams going wanting to go small and things like that. I, just, I think there are so many different ways you could get creative with Paul George, even in a, up a lot of those core guys and you're relying a lot on the draft. I, I think you can it, – it's kind of like money ball in a way that you can kind of, you know, you find the fixtures of your lineup and figure out how to complement them with what you got and certainly if you have that big three as we've talked about a few times now there you have so many options about what you can do you can plug in guards maybe keep Brandon Knight like you said or maybe you know you go out and get somebody and you just try and make it work it's once once you find the right guys the the pieces around them are so interchangeable think about Miami you know Mm -hmm. the the first year they had nothing around them you know they're three guys you think about even you know just sticking with the LeBron example in Cleveland those shooters filter in and out and it's Corver one year and it's you know, J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert, and it's Dion for a little bit, and people thought Mike Dunleavy, Mike Dunleavy might be the answer. Once once you find your core, the other stuff is important, but it's just secondary. So, And that's kind of, too, where the Clippers are struggling, as we talked about as I mean, well. So exactly, I, I definitely agree. Exactly. I mean, this is the thing that I keep talking about. It's like free agents come and ring chasers come when you have something to show them. It's not like a, it's not like you can't be bad for so long and think expect that you're going to grow. And then not, but no free agents are going to come. Like, did you, if you notice, the people flock to the ring chasers. I mean, what was it? David West took gave back fifteen million dollars to go play with the Spurs, and then he went to go. Now he goes to play with the Warriors to ring chase. Like he's really good, or he yeah. was, and like, and people will do. It. And Miami and Ray Allen, and like people will go where they think they have a chance to be a contender. And I'm not saying that even with Paul George that the Suns are a contender anytime necessarily soon. But they have what it takes, and they can ha- they can more have their pick, even if they aren't a free agent destination yet. Yeah, and they can you know if they draft well too in a couple years, you might look at it and see maybe they're not a contender, but they're at least a playoff team. And you know, certain free agents do want to come play with that. I, I mean, even a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge coming to Phoenix because he liked the situation that was set up. That's not some. I mean, that's the perfect evidence of exactly just what you said. How guys will want to play for good teams. If Lamarcus Aldridge looked at the situation and said, "You know, if I go here, I think that this can be." And there's your evidence. There's your evidence that even a very, very good player, probably a near star in the league, is considering a team like Phoenix because he likes the fit. Exactly. So what do you think it would take to get each of George or Butler? Well, um, you, I feel like you would have to give up a lot. You know, I think the Suns package that was rumored for Cousins was something along the lines of Knight, 
Warren, Len, and maybe a pick on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that would have to be your that, that would have to be your starting point for something with George. I, I think it'd be interesting that you know they have the Miami picks that they can kind of take offer. Um, you know, certainly other young talent. Although I would doubt, I'd be very surprised if they wanted to part with the guys they just drafted. But you know, maybe that they could surprise me. So I think that would be that would have to be your starting. I'm not sure that yeah. gets the job done for either of those players, but well, I think you at least start there. I don't think you can give. I don't. I think it's too much to give up, which is, seems weird to say. But if you give up five assets, like a pick and four players, I think that's too much just for anybody, really. Because I think yeah. if you do that, you scuttle the team too much. But I think four is good. I think Chris Knight, Tucker, and a first is that enough? I don't know. Chan, something like that. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. I think. Chris, Chris Knight Tucker for that—that that is interesting. You know, obviously, I felt like when the, when the Cousins trade was at least rumored, I I was pretty sure Chris wasn't going to be a part. Of the, you know, the Kings could have drafted him yeah. uh, if they wanted him that much. But for these other teams, it, it, it to see. I I, I would be if they kind of had this like anonymous GMs evaluate your players. Uh, read something like that, just because I'm curious to see how other guys around the league kind of evaluate. That you know, say Chris is having right now, and I know Bender's injured, but even you know, like him too. Yeah, I would love to read anonymous GMs talking about their team. That's why I would love to be a connected like Woj, Woj, just like talking to GMs all the time on background, like to know everything. How interesting would that be? Yeah, well, well, just to hear what they think, you know. You know what would you be willing to trade for this guy? Obviously, you know if they release that information, it would it would be a disaster for their job, and now teams would you know it, it would change the dynamics of everything. But you know, just like little private conversations about hey, let's say you're you know your owner and you're you know one of the guys in your you know well you we got to get Marquis Chris it'll cost like what what you think it's like that. I think it could be fascinating. Um, you know, but the package you mentioned, I, I, I'm really not sure, to, to your point as well, if there's a package the Suns would be comfortable offering that would get it done for Paul George. I am of the belief, I really do think it's better to kind of overpay for, for a star like that, like a Paul George level star, but at the same time, you know, there it may come that there's a really unreasonable asking price, especially when, you know, from what it seems like right now, the Pacers are pretty much doing whatever they can to keep him. They're, you know, basically selling off a first-round pick just to find another asset that will help fit alongside him. I, I think, you know, I we agree. maybe mentioned that earlier. So I, I, I think their asking price might be a little high. I agree with that, but I just read something tonight about he's Paul George, like I think it was in the Indiana Star, um, saying that Paul George, Paul George said that he – is like he could walk in 2018, um, and so if I mean there is some pressure there that to get to get to get something for him, and who knows what will I mean? It's really interesting. I would definitely read that article. I think I tweeted it out a little bit ago, but uh, so it's interesting. Now my question to you next is: What do you think is most likely to happen for the Suns in this trade deadline? You know, uh, I was reading some comments by Ryan McDonough and. You know, he, he kind of seemed to signify that he wouldn't be surprised if basically nothing even happened. And so uh, I, I think that might be the likeliest thing. Maybe maybe not nothing. Maybe they get rid of P.J. Tucker or they get rid of, you know, one of the three guys. Certain, it seems the popular pick right now. I guess the Celtics are rumored to be in Tucker, too. So I, I think maybe they, they get rid of one of, of the three guys. That to me seems like the most interest, uh, the most likely outcome. I don't remember them bringing in a big name. Uh, certainly, you know, you appreciate even even just the rumors to come out saying that they were trying. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a good sign, even when sometimes they're just leaked by a team just to just to say, you know, to your fans like we did try, just happy with you know mediocrity or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see anything. I don't see anything big happening. I you know could be dead wrong. Didn't think Cousins was going to get your totally. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the night, and then yeah. But every time I think about it, it's like could be night, could be Chandler, could be could be Tucker. Um, I've, it's so weird. I just I don't know. Also, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that you kind of were saying there's too much to get for a star. Now I, I just said that that five assets maybe too much. But then I'm thinking also if you gave me the if you said it this way, if you can get Paul George without giving it Booker or Bledsoe, would you do it? And I'm like yes. 
But also, five assets seems like a whole lot, especially if that's what it took to get DeMarcus Cousins. But then you're going kings, kings, kings all over the place. So who knows what the value actually is for a star nowadays. Yeah, that's, that is a good point. You know, if you could tell me maybe that you would keep, let's say, just picking some players. You're going to keep Chris, Bledsoe, and Booker. And, you know, I, I guess would you be comfortable giving up anything if that's the question? I, I don't know. That's that's a really tough thing to answer, especially because you really do have to see it. But I could absolutely see, you know, the Suns kind of even maybe even telling that to another team and saying, look, if you three, three, four guys, we're not, you know, we're not giving you. Try and make it work otherwise, and if we can't make it work, you know, just let us know. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like they should keep Booker, Bledsoe, um, Bender. I'm, I don't know, I've had, I was talking to, about Len with somebody on the podcast, and it's, I mean, I would like to keep him, but uh, it's, it's rough, because he's not as high ceiling as we thought, obviously. We didn't think, we, who knew, that's potential, that's potential for you. But also, um, so we'll see. This center lineup, if they get rid of Chandler, it's going to be interesting. What do you think about Big Sauce? And Alan Williams is just the best to me. He, I just, he's so cool. And I, his flash of brilliance there the last, for two or three games is kind of a, it makes the whole process a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I actually, I do think this, this is, it's not really your question, but it kind of is in another, uh, in another way, kind of just turning it to looking forward. I'm so intrigued to see if the Suns do make a trade, which we kind of talked about, just what the rotations go to, what guys look like, if guys play a different way. I, I, my favorite time of the year in the NBA is actually the trade deadline time because mostly because the Suns haven't really been all that competitive in the playoffs basically since 2010. Um, but I, I love just every single storyline, watching young guys when they're going to have a chance to get an expanded role and seeing how their games yep, develop. Yep. Up and you think about it last year, I, I think it was more because of injuries, but like seeing Devin Booker run point for basically half a season, that was fascinating to me. That wasn't necessarily because of the trade deadline, but e- even things like that, I so... I, I don't know. Right, I have, <laughs> with individual guys, I'm, I'm I'm still a little curious, and you know, certainly I haven't been able to be you know dead on watching of every game like I have been um, in years past. But I am mm-hmm. so fascinated to watch these first few games after the deadline. You remember the uh, the two weeks where they ran everything through Len? I'll tell you this much: I remember the the two weeks when Len was going to be like a three point shooter and was just gonna was just gonna take a bunch of threes every game. Oh yeah, some good times. Well, this <laughs> has been absolutely delightful, Scott. I remember we we got to do we got to do one podcast someday where uh, we just rank all the Suns players because we basically agreed on every single one one time. <laughs> um, but and I, I, was, remember, I remember that. Yeah, we had the, the Twitter list or something like Twitter that. Twitter list, and we basically agreed on every single person, and the one we didn't agree on, I had just switched. <laughs> But uh, I'll, I keep, I'll always remember that. But uh, why don't you uh, plug the stuff that you're doing, even though it's not necessarily NBA-related, because I want to get you a little plug here, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, man. And, and again, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I, I host podcasts. If you are interested in that, it's not, you know, very Suns-related. It's just kind of – it's a little bit more casual, just, you know, looking at things from afar. It's Triple OT. You follow that on Twitter at Triple OTP. Um, and yeah, I write for the Topeka Capital Journal, which is a publication in, in Kansas. I cover Kansas men's basketball, so if you're interested in Josh Jackson, you know he's going to be a top-five pick. Uh, certainly I have some coverage over there, and feel free to ask me any questions about opinions or anything, or just tell me I'm dumb from you know listening to me talk uh, at SChasenCJ uh, on Twitter. So thanks so much again, man. Yes, definitely. Go follow Scott. And uh, hopefully you all follow me at Eric underscore Sar, and then follow the Solar Insights podcast. We have great people on, just like Scott and other writers on all the time, about every week. And I please go check out my two pieces on the sun sun specific uh, trade season stuff and general NBA trade season primer. This the uh, d- trade deadline is on Thursday, so watch out for that. And uh, have a good night, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs>